From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, new imaging at AAO 2018. I think there is a vascular component to glaucoma pathogenesis. First this. I travel a lot. It's one of the perks of the work I do. As fantastic as Hangzhou or Jaipur or Barcelona are, I'm always amazed at how beautiful my own country is. Nowhere is this more in evidence than in Park City, Utah. Words truly fail. That's why I'm so happy that iWorld holds its surgical summit in Park City. Join me in this collegial, informal, and highly educational event in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Go to surgicalsummit.iworld.org. That's surgicalsummit, one word, iworld.org. I'll see you on the slopes. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the 2018 annual meeting of the American Academy of Ophthalmology in Chicago. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from David Wong on OCT angiography and from John Kenilopoulos on topography modified refraction. I'm here with David Wong. Uh, David, you give it a really, really interesting talk, unbelievably interesting subject, which is the role of OCTA imaging uh, in the longitudinal evaluation of patients with glaucoma. So let let me get you to sort of give us the uh, lay of the uh, land here and why it is, because we, we, we have this structural imaging even without OCTA, why it is that we should be interested in OCTA in glaucoma? Well, uh, we already have structural OCT measurements of nerve fibrillary thickness and macular ganglion cell complex thickness. And these are a good way to objectively monitor uh, glaucoma progression, but only uh, in the early to moderate stages. In uh, more advanced glaucoma, uh, these structures reach a floor, so they, they cannot get any thinner and you lose the ability to follow more advanced glaucoma. And that's where OCTA may become valuable because we find uh, when you look at glaucoma uh, subjects uh, cross-sectionally, there's a more linear relationship between the capillary density that you measure on OCTA with visual field parameters such as the mean deviation across a broader range of glaucoma severity uh, from, from the very early stages to the late stages. So then let, let, I, I want to understand what, what this means pathophysiologically, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're saying that there can be substantial nerve fiber layer thinning with um, a, not a commensurate precipitous drop in OCTA, does that mean that the pathogenesis for glaucoma is not vascular? Uh, I, I think there is a vascular 
component to glaucoma pathogenesis. Uh, although OCTA alone uh, doesn't prove that, there are studies that show that uh, glaucomatous eyes have higher oxygen e extraction. That means uh, there is ischemia. So it might be at least partially ischemic disease in some patients. But what I believe is that um, you can have ganglion cells and nerve fibers that are dysfunctional. They are sick. Uh, so they have lower metabolism, which uh, reflects in lower capillary density that can be measured by OCTA. And this occurs prior to apoptosis and thinning of the structure. So uh, OCTA may be useful in detecting earlier changes. And uh, same with uh, later, later stages. Um, capillary density seems to be more linear with the, the function of the nerve fibers and ganglion cells. And um, they don't have the impediment of structural measurements, which may reach a floor because of the uh, replacement with glial tissue, which still have a certain thickness. Yeah, really, really, really interesting. So uh, from a, a, a clinical sort of practical standpoint, um, where uh, I had been doing uh, retina nerve fiber layer um, measurements and they bottom out and then I just shift gears and say, listen, all that I can follow now is the visual field testing. And I've subsequently learned, well, what I can do after uh, we hit the retinal nerve fiber layer floors is that I can uh, shift to, to ganglion cell layer measurement. You're saying even after that, I can continue to do structural testing with OCTA even fairly late into the, the disease process. Is that basically correct? Uh, that is correct. Uh, we have good evidence that macular ganglion cell complex can be followed for, uh, for a longer period of time into later stages of glaucoma. Um, with OCT angiography, we don't have that direct evidence yet, but uh, based on the, the correlation with the visual field, we believe that will be the case, and that's what we are actively studying. Now, uh, I, I'm going to nerd out a little bit here because I can't contain myself. Um, when we talk about diabetes and microvascular disease, what we're talking about is, is small vessel loss. But we're not necessarily with OCTA uh, in the context of glaucoma talking about vessel loss, right? We're just talking about uh, reduced vessel flow, that the vessels are there, but they're there isn't sufficient flow through them to detect them with OCTA. Is that is that correct? Uh, not entirely. Great. So in glaucoma, we actually have reduction in the capillary density. Now it doesn't look the same as diabetic retinopathy, where you have areas with absolutely no capillaries. You have a distinct zones or capillary dropout. Uh, in glaucoma, you see a different pattern. You, you don't see these uh, uh, zones that's totally knocked out. You, what you see is just a more generalized uh, reduction in the, in the density of capillaries along usually an arcuate distribution that would expect. So that's interesting too, that the, the distribution that you're seeing is arcuate. So it's sort of following the the distribution of the nerve fiber layer as opposed to 
you know, the, the, the anatomical vascular branching pattern. It's your sense that it's, it's reactive to the, the, the disease process? I think it is I'm reactive. I'm asking you tough questions. I understand that, but you know, I, I, but I want to know. Yes. I think it is reactive uh, to the disease process. Um, I think there are, there are two components, though. One is that I think uh, the, the, the reduction in capillary density could be reacting to decrease the metabolism in some nerve fibers and ganglion cells. Uh, and the second component is, could be reacting to loss of these cells and fibers. Uh, so the first component is what might enable us to detect glaucoma earlier with OCT angiography. Yeah, really, really, really interesting stuff. So how are you using this clinically? Well, uh, there are uh, commercial OCT angiography platforms uh, such as AngioView that does provide the uh, OCT angiography scans for the macula and, and the uh, parapapillary uh, retina. And here, you, it's important for the macula to scan a large enough size, a six millimeter scan. Uh, and uh, the system provides zonal capillary density measurements that you can use to evaluate uh, and monitor glaucoma. Now there is a limitation in that although you get uh, repeatable capillary density measurements on, on the system, there's no normative uh, database for di uh, glaucoma diagnostic classification yet. That would come later. Well, the technology is new. David, this is super, super interesting. I want to thank you very much for, for making the, this really multifaceted, really complicated topic understandable um, and for tolerating my, my, my uh, ideas that are not exactly correct. Um, I want to thank you most of all for the generosity of the time that you've shown us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about my favorite topic. I'm here with John Kenilopoulos, a member of the ASCRS Refractive Clinical Committee. Uh, John, you, you always talk about interesting things, but I mean, t today I think it's, for, at least for me, is just a super, super, super interesting topic. We're going to be talking about TMR. What is TMR? TMR is a, a, a surgical application of uh, things that we learn from topography-guided ablations, and it stands for Topography Modified Refraction. It's a tool that we have been using last five years and from lessons learned in treating irregular eyes. When we treat irregular eyes, we have come to respect the topography given amount and axis of cylinder. So uh, the patient's refraction, of course, is critical in treating those eyes, but we have to obey the topography amount and axis of cylinder. So how does this apply to virgin eyes, regular myopia? Uh, it does actually if you are doing topography guided because even normal slight amounts of astigmatism if they are in patients who have slight angle kappa meaning 100 150 microns and these data are available on all topographies used the pentacam the uh, placido disc topographies are important uh, because the topography device in topography guided is going to normalize the cornea on the vertex so the question raises arises rather are we going to treat the clinical refraction before normalizing this cornea or should we take 
the topography data in mind now that the cornea will be norm normalized by the topography guided ablation. When we gather data from wavefront, we're gathering it along the patient's visual axis. When we're doing topography, the topography is not normalized. It's not centered upon, uh, on the patient's visual axis. It's centered um, on the on the apex of the of the cornea generally. Generally, um, the apex of the cornea is not. Uh, exactly aligned with the patient's visual axis and depending upon the angle cap it can be really pretty significantly off. Significant in, in the sense that the non-alignment of the uh, topographic uh, normalized uh, center uh, from the patient's visual axis is going to induce coma. Now coma is not something that we directly compensate for when we do a manifest refraction for the patient, but the patient may uh, choose some degree of cylinder that can partially compensate for it. And we have to deal with uh, the cylinder and non-alignment and all of that sort of stuff when we do topographic uh, guided LASIK because the topography is not centered with the patient's visual axis. I have absolutely no idea whether what I said made things more, more, more clear, but that, that, no, that reiterates but, uh, what you it, It's very hard to explain verbally uh, because this is really a topography issue, but I agree with you totally, and you described it very well. The, the topography data show us the apex of the cornea and the vertex, which is theoretically the part of the cornea that the patient is seeing out of, the center, rather, of his visual function. So that difference, vertex to apex, uh, over 100 microns, is in pretty much every human, every normal human. We have learned to consider uh, angle cap of over half a millimeter significant, but when we're talking about visions in the uh, level of uh, 2015, uh, 2010 even, it tends to be very significant. If we're doing wavefront optimized, simple, uh, laser, which is great, has excellent results with most laser platforms. This error of angle kappa, and as you mentioned, the patient's compensation for it uh, follows through and it doesn't really matter. But if you're going to normalize the cornea with a topography guided ablation, that cornea is going to be normalized on the vertex of the patient. So the refractive data will change. And we're seeing this in a contralateral eye study presented here at the American Academy. We received for the same data the best poster for the ESCRS just last month in Vienna. We're looking at a very large group of patients, 100 patients, randomized one eye to receive standard clinical refraction topography-guided LASIK, which has been shown internationally for many platforms to work excellent. And on the other eye, use TMR. So what we did in the other eye, we... Uh, tweaked the clinical refraction with the amount and axis of cylinder that the topography provided. And of course, adjusted angle kappa. And most patients, you treat actually more cylinder than the patients pick up in the refraction. Uh, it's a leap of faith if the axis is off more than 5 degrees. We've encountered patients that the axis was off 45 degrees. This is compelling clinical data. And we have found that the TMRI performed at least one eye, one line better. Um, the, uh, the standard treatment eyes were a little bit better than 2020. The TMR eyes were invariably 2015 or better. So these data are compelling, and I think it changes our concept of what clinical refraction is. Clinical refraction is a performance. Uh, and uh, with the topography-guided platforms, we're, we're learning more on how to improve that.
It's unbelievably interesting. Yeah, really, really, really neat stuff. And, you know, a, a, as an additional benefit, your patients are actually seeing better. But it's really, really interesting. Uh, John, I want to thank you for, for, for bringing this wonderful topic to us. Uh, and as always, for being so very generous with your time with us. Thank you, Josh. It's my pleasure. David Wang is the week's professor of ophthalmic research at the KCI Institute at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. John Kenilopoulos is director of Laser Vision Eye Institute in Athens, Greece, and clinical professor of ophthalmology at the New York University School of Medicine in New York. Ask questions of Dr. Wang, Dr. Kenilopoulos, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.